You just want to talk a while, don't you? That's okay. Go ahead and talk. Are you blessed? How blessed are you? Well, let's worship. <laughs> you sound good. <laughs> I'm so blessed. Hallelujah, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Hallelujah, I'm blessed.
seated. Thank you. Um, how many are glad you're here today? All right. You got, you, got your celebration guide and this is your first or second time. Please fill out the registration, drop it in the offering plate so that we can just send you a letter uh, recognizing that you were with us. Please print legibly uh, so I can read it and get the name correctly. Um, on the inside, there's a few things to just point out and ask you to read the details. Um, I ask for mercy and grace because we were going to have membership 101 today, but it's been kind of a rough week until yesterday with my back. I didn't know what I was, you know, would be able to last two services and there feeling great, going to be able to do it, but we've already not gotten the food and everything ready. So we will let you know immediately when we know when 101 will be uh, rescheduled. And then if you'll look at the baptism that's coming up, I know we have like 24, 25 lined up for that already. Focus on the family folks. We're, we are blessed that we are able to get focused on the family here for a uh, marriage conference. It is free. Um, so we'd love to have you come, um, regardless of your state, uh, in your marriage. It would be awesome. Uh, Friday and Saturday operation Christmas child, read the de details of that. Um, da, 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 da. the annual golf tournament. They do want me to start announcing that. Ask you to read it. Please get involved and register if you're a golfer. All right. Would you rather be here than the best jail in Citrus County? All right. Let's stand. Welcome somebody around you to church today. Where Jesus bled 
how you do it, Lord. But you're able to take broken pieces and put them back together again. Father, help us to fix our eyes on you. When we're hurting, when we're lonely, fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and what you have to say for us. Father, I thank you so much that you are the God of broken pieces and that you can make us whole again, Father, in your eyes by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the offering that we're going to take, Jesus. We just give it to you because you gave it to us, and we pray that you would use it, expand it for your honor and for your glory, Father. In your name we pray this morning. Amen. All right. It's such a, folks, it is such an honor. I mean this, to, to be here on Sunday. I live for this uh, all week. This is what I planned for Wednesday night, but mainly Sunday morning. Uh, I love this church. Uh, this church has um, changed my life in so many incredible ways uh, in the last nearly 30 years. So I started this series on being a radical and not being a weirdo, but a radical, meaning that we really, that really means a biblical Christian, really. Take what a Christian really was like in the Bible, and that to us would be radical. Um, and so I want to I share with you, uh, well, in fact, last week we did um, radical compassion. And you remember we studied the life of the Good Samaritan? Remember that? Okay, and next Sunday it's going to be a radical urgency that God wants us to have as believers. But today I'm going to share with you a message that I would tell you that after all these years of ministry, all these years of reading the Bible and, and studying the Bible, wanting to be closer to the Lord than ever before, this message has absolutely changed my life. Now, usually when I say that, it doesn't do a lot for you because it's too personal. But no, I, I really believe there's some things here that folks, if you will just individually listen to what we're gonna say and, and ask God, to, how, how do I apply that? 
for my life. Okay, so if you have your Bible, I know we put the scriptures up there. Many times they're in your bulletin, but there was not enough room to put them all uh, that I'll be reading today. But I would encourage you to bring your Bible and to mark some of these things right there in your Bible that we're going to talk about, or at least do it when you get home. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 37, as we are going to be looking at that quite a bit today. Now, what I want to do is start with a question. And the question is this, when in the Bible did God ever give someone an easy job? And you know the answer. It, it, it was never. He doesn't do that. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I have a job for you, but hey, don't worry. It won't take much of your time. It won't take much of your energy. It won't take your finances. So no, that's not the way God does it. He, he comes to a guy named Noah and he says, Noah, I want to start over uh, the whole civilization with you uh, and your family. And I've got a job for you, Noah. But Noah, don't worry. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to give you a sign of my promise and my presence. And that was, of course, the rainbow that it would never happen again. He comes to Abraham. Abraham, I got a job for you. Uh, I want to start a new race uh, that we'll call the Israelites, the Hebrew people. And I want you to, to be the progenitor of that. I want you to leave everything that you know here. And I want you to walk hundreds of miles away, a couple of rivers. And Abraham, by the way, don't worry. You're not going to be alone. Because I've got a sign, I've got a promise that I'm going to give you. And it was the sign of circumcision. He comes to Moses. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, most powerful man in the universe. And I want you to defy him face to face. But Moses, don't worry because I'm going to go with you. Nehemiah, build the city. David, take on Goliath. Esther, save your whole nation from murder. Joseph, go to prison. Daniel, thrown in the lion's den. Jesus, hanging on the cross. So the question is, why is it that life is so difficult at times? Why is it? And you say, well, you've told us before that it's because there's sin in the world. It's broken. That is absolutely right. But I think maybe it could go a little bit deeper than that. And it's this. Not only is that true, but God also cares about what's going on in our life individually how we're growing spiritually or not. So what I want to do in just a few minutes that we have left today, I want to look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. I love that. The story of Joseph reminds me of my story and your story. You say, man, uh, Pastor, I'm not anything like uh, Joseph was, and I know you're not. Um, but anyway, having said that, I, I do want you to, to know why I'm, I'm making that statement. And that is because... Joseph's life seemed to be for the first, you know, 30, 40, 35, 40 years, good news, bad news. Did you ever happen in your life? Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. All right, what I want to do is get you to help me for just a minute to um, introduce this. So everybody over here to my left, and let's say halfway in here, okay, uh, in here, you're, you're going to be the good news people. So when I point to you, you're going to say good news. What it? Good news. You folks over here and the back of, of this middle, you'll be the bad news people. So when I point to you, you're going to say bad news. All right. So here we go. Look at, let's look at the story of Joseph. Genesis 37. We are told that Joseph is daddy's favorite, and that would be? Yeah. But we also read that his brothers are jealous of him, and that would be? 
But you keep going in the story, you find out that Joseph got this really cool coat from his dad, and that would be? But his brothers rip it off of him, beat him up, put him in a cistern, sell him into slavery, and that would be? But he's now in Egypt in slavery, goes to work for a guy by the name of Potiphar, high-ranking official. And and by the way, the Bible says that Joseph was a really good-looking guy, so that would be? But his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce Joseph, which would be? But he resists her, and that's? But she makes up a story that he raped her, and that would be? In your life like that? No, I'm serious. Think back in your life. Good news and bad news. Good news and bad news. And that's what he put up with. And we're going to get to a point here. This is his life and the way it goes. And now, it almost sounds unbelievable, except for the fact that I've been there. Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news all through my life. And so you've been there when you've had great things happen to you and things seem to be going so well. Then all of a sudden, it's like the carpet gets ripped right out from under you. Anybody been there? Now, here's the question that I want to say now. I'm probably going to say it four or five times because this is a vital, this is, this to me was life-changing. And here's the question. What would you do, and it's a fill in the blank, what would you do in your life if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? What would you do in your life if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? See, here's the challenge for those of us that say we're followers of Christ. In life, when when the transition goes from things being really, really good and, and all of a sudden they're not turning out the way we want them to, How do we respond? What I want to suggest right off the bat is you're going to see a man named Joseph that responded um, with this in his mind. Whatever happened to him that was bad, he always had going on in his mind, I know that God is with me. And we're we're going to get to that in a minute. All right. So here's the the challenge. Let's go down to um, chapter 37, verse 3. Now, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a rich ornament, ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So we're set up for conflict, aren't we? Right off the bat, you've got a group of insecure 10 brothers. Uh, one brother, Joseph, who, by the way, at this time was a little bit arrogant. He shouldn't have told his brothers about the dream that one day you're going to bow down to me and one day mom and dad and you're going to all bow. He shouldn't have done that. A father who favors this son, this family is destined for Jerry Springer. It's it's going to happen right there. Things are not going to go well in this family. So now we go to verses 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, They stripped him of his richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Now, we understand that Joseph was about 17. He was about 30 when he came to be the second in command. But he's got a 13-year period of rough rough going in there. And I kind of think that this might be the first moment in Joseph's life where he realizes that things are not going to all turn out the way I want them to turn out. Because up to this point, he's been, you know, everything's worked out great. 
you know, the daddy's favorite and you could stay home while all the other brothers were out working and, and getting a, a, a nice coat that nobody else got. But now, you know, and, and I shared this with the first service. A lot of people have told me that they felt like their life was like one of those puppets that someone's always trying to manipulate. Well, that's not me. What I, what, what I feel, and I've told you, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but especially when we first started the church and when things were growing, growing, growing numerically, physically, and we were trying to build and all that, when all of that happened, I felt like that I was one of those guys that come out on a stage and they take a plate and they put it on the end of a long dowel. You know, they get it spinning, you know, put it down, and there's six or seven of them. And he's going around trying to keep them all going. You know, this one winds down, so I've got to get it going. That's what I feel like um, in my life. That, that's my analogy. Because I think that the greatest of all illusions is that I'm in control. Imagine how Joseph must have felt when he's sitting at the bottom of this pit. I mean, it would be, why me? You've been there, I've been there. You know, you, maybe you, there's been times where you were lying in your bed at night and you're staring up into the darkness and it's, Lord, why me? Lord, why my marriage? Why my wife? Why my husband? Why my finances? Why my health? Whatever. Why are we going through this? Now, I want you to write this next thing down. You notice that I didn't give you point one, two, three, four, and five. I gave you just key points that, that, I, that stuck out to me. So what happens is when life doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out, we almost always make this assumption, and here it is. We make the assumption that God is not with us. We won't say it out loud, but that's what we're assuming. And yet, I want you to write this down, it goes with it. The unbelievable truth that I read in scripture is that all throughout scripture, any character that I chose to pick that God got involved in their life, the truth was this, God was more powerfully present even when it seemed like he was absent. You got that? I mean, that's just, just that is a fact of scripture. So Joseph, he's getting sold into slavery in Egypt. And we go to chapter 39, verse 1 and 2. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. So the guy's been sold as a slave twice now. Who, have taken him, who had taken him there. What does the next few words say? The Lord was with Joseph. That's worth circling. And he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, I don't know about you, but I would highlight, and I, I want you, it's so important, I want you to write it down, that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, because that is vital to the message. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I read this as a story, and I'm not picking out certain things to tell you, and I'm just reading it as a whole story. Um, that kind of throws me off. When I get to that part that it says the Lord was with Joseph, I thought, wait a minute. He got thrown into a dungeon by his brothers and the Lord was with him. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold to travelers. Then they sold him to somebody else. Now he's doing slavery in a foreign country. That doesn't seem right to say the Lord was with Joseph. Are we, can we humanly admit that? 
doesn't seem like it should be. I mean, when I, listen, when I was growing up, because, you know, my immaturity, um, as well as sometimes we didn't get taught everything that we needed. But when I was growing up, it meant if the Lord was with me, everything was going good. Everything in my family was going good if the Lord was with me. But we start to think that, and we start to believe that. But folks, nowhere is that in Scripture. The Lord was with Joseph in the middle of it all, as we're going to see. So we start to think sometimes that, and, and believe that God, just because we're going through a rough time, is not there present. Now, write this down, because we've got to understand this. And this is what the Lord was speaking to me about for the last few months. Your response to your shattered dreams matter. Your response to your shattered dreams matter. You notice in this story that Joseph is not running away. He does not run away. He, it may not be fair. And in fact, if I was Joseph, I'd have been probably thinking, you know what? Three weeks ago, I owned slaves and now I am one. But he never felt rejected and abandoned by God. And that because of that, Joseph always acted as if God were going to be there. No matter what was going on, one of the first messages that I ever heard that just touched my heart, I was a young man, wasn't even in ministry yet, was a pastor saying about the life of Joseph that he always rose to a character level. No matter what went on in his life, he didn't uh, bend, he did not uh, compromise. He kept a certain level of integrity and honesty in his life. So what did Joseph do? With all of this going on, what did he do? He continued to do what anybody would do who was absolutely confident that God was with him. Amen? I want you to remember that, that, he would, that, that, we, that we will do what anybody would do. And I'll tell you, folks, I, I know it doesn't mean a lot to you, but that's changed my life. That, you know, because I keep thinking, okay, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? And, and the Lord's going to show you that. I believe it. Or you listen, before that, be honest with you as your pastor. Be a little honest, a little confession. I always go to the worst case scenario. I mean, when I'm lying there, the last two and a half months, as you know, have not been real good for the back thing. It's either, it's either real bad or real good. And on all those times when this would get so bad, and it would be like the third day that you're lying in the bed, curled up like a baby, looking out the, the double doors into the sunroom, on beyond that to the pool and out the woods. And all you can do is look at that all day because that's the only place that doesn't hurt is, is lying in, in that position. And for me, whenever this happened the first day, okay, I'll get over it. Second day, okay, it's going to take a little longer. Third day, I start the what ifs. What if this don't happen? What if this doesn't go away? What if I have to call 911 and they have to haul me away in an ambulance? to get to the hospital? What if they want to put me in an MRI? I can't stand it. I'll go crazy. Can't do that. You know, what if they say you need surgery, but the heart doctor says you can't have surgery? What, you know what I'm saying? What if, what if, what if, what if? But folks, in the midst of adversity, I have learned, and I believe Joseph learned it, that God is with them. Amen? Lying there, it doesn't matter. God is with them. All right, let's go to verse um, 6 in chapter 39. 
So he left in Joseph's care everything that he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here he is, this high-ranking official, because Joseph is there and believes that God is still there. He blessed everything in that Potiphar's house. And in fact, if I read that correctly, all this man had to worry about was, what am I going to eat next? What food was he going to eat? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything that he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? Listen, if, if there was no other parts to this story, and there are, this in my mind makes Joseph a hero right here. Let me tell you why. Here's a man, Joseph, young, evidently very good looking. He doesn't have a church to run to. Or he doesn't have an account, accountability group. He doesn't have a small group. He, can go to. he doesn't even have the Ten Commandments. But he says, how can I sin against my God? And if he were maybe really saying what he was feeling inside, who, by the way, hadn't done a lot for me lately with all that I've been dealing with. So, folks, here's what I want you to know. This is a very important point in this story. Don't ever abandon your God-given values in pursuit of a God-given dream. I won't say that again, but you need to think about it. Don't ever abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams. See, Joseph could have done that. He could have given in. Hey, it's no big deal. I'm in a foreign country. Look what they've done to me anyway. My, none of my family's here. Nobody will ever know this. He didn't do that. He rose to that character level. And let's be honest. I'll get you to write this down. It is easier to be faithful to God when it seems like he's being faithful to me. Agreed? Seems like. Very, very um, important word there. And folks, you're going to be tempted over and over and over again. I don't care what job you have, whether it's a pastor or anything else, you're going to be tempted over and over and over again to violate that premise and, and to stay close to the Lord. But let's be honest, it is easier to be faithful to God when it seems like he's being faithful to us. I'll tell you the truth. It's easier for me to come on Sunday morning and spend those first 20, 25, 30 minutes worshiping the Lord when I've had a great week before. You know, oh, he's so good, and yes, he's going to bring me out, and da, da, da. wonderful. And I love to sing them, and, and I love the, the message behind them. But the truth is, I do worship a little easier when I feel like everything's going great. And I think that's human nature. Now, okay, let's go to um, verse 10, chapter 39. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day. See, this wasn't a one-time thing. Day after day, she tried to wear him down. And he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She called him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hands and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hands and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, 
she said. This Hebrew has been brought into us to make sport of us. He came in to sleep with me, but I screamed. I'd like to choke her. I'd like to just (laughs) get my hand around her neck. I mean, listen, if you know the story, you know what happened next. Joseph was framed. And listen, he was sentenced to prison for the exact thing that he had the courage to say no to. That's amazing. I don't know if you've ever done exactly what you thought God was calling you to do. You weren't disobedient. It didn't turn out the way you thought it would. But folks, that happens. In the Christian walk, that will happen. Yet what we see in God's word and in this story is that we are called to be faithful even when it seems like God is not being faithful to us. We are called to love him when it feels like he's abandoned us. We're called to worship him whenever we, even through the tears. One pastor in his blog this week looking for illustrations said that uh, a true story about his life. His wife had taken their only daughter out for a daughter's night out and he had to stay home with the three boys. There were three boys. And he said um, the, the youngest boy was always motivated by food and so they kept giving him like these uh, fruit, you know, these fruit packs, you know, which I don't think, I think you parents that give those kids the fruit packs, I think you're just trying to ease your conscience. I don't think there's much fruit to it, um, just a snack. But anyway, he had been giving his youngest son these fruit snacks all day long. And he thought, I better stop that, you know, I need to cut this off at some point. So he did. And the little boy was throwing a massive fit. I mean, he was hollering, crying, screaming on the ground, kicking, and he's trying to pick him up and make him hold him tight. And the boy's, you know, screaming, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And he said, at that point, I want, I want your mommy too, you know, be here. <laughs> Weeks later, he said, he was thinking about that event. And he said, you know, it dawned on me, that boy really didn't want his mommy. He wanted what he thought mama would give him. And you know what? God describes me sometimes with you in my relationship. You know, so a lot of my praying has been crying out to God for me and, you know, get rid of this and get rid of that. And and it's really not about him. It's about me instead of worship. It's all about, and I'll explain this a little bit deeper at the very end, but it's it's almost about what, what God can you give me? And you know what? I, I, I'm really trying in these last few months to make a big change in my life, and that would be one of them. You know, um, spending days in bed, it was rough, rough, especially after dark, when the sun went down and you're in the room by yourself and it, and it gets dark. And by the way, I've told some of you this, but you all can hear this. There's two kinds of pain. There's that pain that when the doctor says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is it? You know, you've, you know, I say eight, and then there's crying pain. I mean, it is so severe, you, you just can't do anything but cry. And I would lie there when this first started happening, and I would say, Lord, have I, am, I, am I not praying correctly? Lord, what are the words you need to hear? You ever done that? God, what do you want to hear? What words do you want to hear? I'll say them and mean them. Uh, and Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, is there a verse that I need to know? Lord, it's kind of like I'm going to put money in the vendor machine and God's going to kick out what I want. 
That's the sad news, really, of, of um, my relationship with God. And I want it to be different, don't, don't you? I really want it to be different. All right. Verse 22, 23. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Just like before, he rises up. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because, and there's that phrase again, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, I, do you know what Joseph did in that prison, that dungeon? You know what he did? For about the fourth time, he did what anybody would do who was confident that God was with him. The same thing he's always done. Now we get to Genesis 40, and I'm going to wrap the story up here for you. Joseph is in prison. He makes two friends there. One is a wine tester. They called him a cupbearer. The other was the uh, major baker. They both had dreams. Make a long story short. They both had dreams. And they come to Joseph to interpret those dreams. And Joseph says to the baker, uh, three days, your head's going to come off. Not too good of news. To the wine, to the cupbearer, and by the way, the, 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 the guy, the, the wine tester, it was his job to taste everything, food or drink, before the king got it, to make sure that they weren't poisoning him. I mean, that was, that was common back there. And if you remember the 80s, some of you remember back in the 80s, it was his job to make sure that no cyanide got in the king's Tylenol. Y'all remember that? Back in the 80s, some of you young people wouldn't remember that. So he tells him, you're going to go back to your old job. It's going to be fine. And Joseph said, oh, I've just got one request. One thing, please. And we see it in chapter 40, verses 14, 15. When all goes well with you, talking to the cupbearer, when you get out of prison, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews to here, and I've done nothing to be put in this dungeon. You know what Joseph is saying? He's saying to this guy, look, I just got one thing. Please remember. You ever done that? I just got one thing. Let me tell you, I have. You ever kind of done that little game with the Lord? Hey, God, just this one thing. Lord, I, I just, God, if you would just, if you would heal my marriage. God, just this one thing, if you would make my husband and my wife love me like they used to love me. God, just this one thing, if you would bring my son or my daughter back into the family. Lord, if you would just do this one thing and heal me of this heart, this back, this cancer, whatever it may be. Lord, if you would just do one thing and get us out of this nasty financial mess. God, just one thing. So here's Joseph, and that's what he said, just one thing. And that wine tester said, oh, sure, no problem. Then we go to Genesis 40, 23. I'll guarantee you nobody has this stuck on your refrigerator. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I think, if I, I, I didn't read that far in the notes, but I think two years, two years. So if you're Joseph, you know, um, it's like, God, are you kidding me? After everything I've been through, I've, I've been obedient to you. 
Lord, I was in the cistern. I was sold. I was sold again. I was falsely accused. I was thrown in dungeon. Lord, after all that, you can't just get him to remember me so that I can get out of here? Well, you know what we know? God was doing unbelievable things in the background. He was preparing all of Joseph's family way over here to come to Egypt. He was preparing the heart of Pharaoh. This man is going to be second in command of the whole nation and is going to save that nation. They still revere him today in Egypt when they remember all that he did. When you put, listen, and here's, here's the thing. Here's what Joseph had to learn and here's what I have to learn, and I'm trying to learn this. So you, you come along beside me, and, and let's learn this together. Am I going to decide to put my faith in God's identity or in God's activity? Think about that. Am I going, what am I going to do? In, put faith in his identity, who he is, or what he does for me. As I told you, that's a lot of my prayers. Lord, please stop this, stop that, do this, do this, don't that. If you put your faith in God and his activity for the circumstances in your life, you're going to always be on a roller coaster of faith, up and down and up and down and up and down. One minute he's with you, he's abandoned you. He's with you, he's abandoned you. And the truth is, he's never left you. Now, you know what, I, I don't... It's an amazing thing to me. As you know, I like to put myself in these situations. You know, what, what would, it, would it have been like? How did Joseph figure this out? I mean, he's just a young man, but somehow it had to be a relationship maybe that Jacob, he knew about his daddy's relationship to the Lord. Wasn't perfect, but he knew about that faith. Somehow Joseph figured out to put his faith in who God was and not what God might do for him. And that's important. God was with him every step of the way. But it wasn't in that moment, was it? He didn't know that, and it wasn't in that moment. But because he had faith in God, in his identity, he did what any man or woman would probably do if they knew that God was going to be with them through it all. So the last thing for you to write down, God is with you. Regardless of what the circumstances of your life are saying right now, God is with you. The birth of Isaac was God's way of saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm with you. The provision of manna out in the wilderness was God's way of saying to the Israelites, I'm with you. The Jordan River piling up in heaps was God's way of saying to Joshua, I'm with you. The sound of Goliath hitting the ground was God's way of saying to David, I'm with you. The bull being consumed by fire was God's way of saying to Elijah, Elijah, I'm with you. The king's decree with the Jews was God's way of saying to Esther, girl, I'm with you. The completion of the wall was God's way of saying to Nehemiah, I'm with you. The birth of Emmanuel, Jesus, was God's way of saying what? Emmanuel means what? God with us. And the cross of Jesus Christ was God's way of saying to the world, if you'll trust me, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Let's bow. Today, we're going to ask you to please individually think of what we've said today. 
and what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to your heart and as you're doing that let me ask a few things why are you going through what you're going through right now I have no idea will it be over soon I have no idea is it going to turn out the way I want it to turn out I have no idea because the question is as you're sitting there right now what does someone do in your life right now what does someone do in your shoes right now what does someone do in the midst of your marriage in the midst of your career your finances what do you do if you are absolutely confident that God is with you. If you will talk to the Holy Spirit about that in the days, weeks to come, you figure that out and then you take a deep breath and you take the next step. It may be trusting Christ as your Savior for the first time. It may be following Him in baptism. It may be getting involved beyond Sunday morning. Lord God, you are an amazing God and you are absolutely powerful and present in our lives. God, what I know right now is that in this moment around this room, there are people that are hurting. Some are in an unbelievable amount of pain, not physical, but because for whatever reason, life has not turned out the way they thought it was going to turn out. Maybe their relationships just hanging on by a thread and they never imagined it would end up like that. People, Lord, who are experiencing broken relationships with their children. People who right now feel alone and hurting and lonely and wonder, do you even care? God, that's why it is so powerful to open your word and be reminded you do know and you do care. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Uh, I'm going to take a little more time getting out of here. So you have a great day. And thank you. My back is doing great today and um, having a good enjoyment. Have a good day.